Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Holy Week corresponds to the, the last week of Jesus' life. It begins with what's called his triumphant or triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this moment is a big moment. Jesus has been focused on this time, this moment, for a long time. He's talked increasingly in his ministry about his need to go go to Jerusalem and to be handed over to the authorities there and to be killed. And whenever he says it, no one quite understands it. No one jives what he's saying. They either don't understand or comprehend what he's saying or don't get what it has to do with that or it's just confusing for everybody. But from the moment that that this happens, the moment that he's coming down this road on the back of this cult, things are going to pick up speed in this last week of his life. A lot happens in the next few days. The four Gospels give a large amount of their time. They're they're covering the, the life and ministry of Jesus. They give a large amount of time in consideration of that to this last week. In fact, the book of John, the disciple that was perhaps closest to him, spends about half of the whole entire gospel talking about the last week of Jesus' life. A lot has led up to this day as Jesus is coming in on this cult. He's been ministering for about three years. He started in the region of Galilee, and he's spent a lot of time there, but he's traveled all over. And what he's done is he's preached or proclaimed, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, repent and get straight, get right, because the kingdom of heaven is breaking into earth. Heaven is coming to earth. He's announcing that his kingdom is coming. He's the rightful king returning to earth, returning to his kingdom, and he's going to make all things new and set all things right. That's what he's proclaiming. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and to showcase what it's like for the kingdom of heaven to come, he's been healing people. There's been times he's visited some villages and they would bring all the sick there. Remember, they don't have hospitals or doctors or people to appeal to. They don't have vitamins or medicine. They don't have a a drugstore in the corner. If they are sick, you are sick. And as he comes to the villages, it says at times that not a single person went away unhealed. He heals those who are sick. He cares for those who are oppressed. He feeds those who are hungry. He does miracles, declaring his greatness and his power. He turns water into wine. He quells the storms with a mere uh, saying of his voice. He walks on water. He does thing over after over again to show the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. I am not under the rules of the earth because I'm the king over the earth. He started out an ignorable peasant out in Galilee, but now through these miracles and healings and his preaching and teaching, the ones that his preaching and teaching that people say is different than anybody else because it was as one who has authority, all of a sudden he's no longer ignorable and his fame and his name has spread throughout the whole land. And the question that's on everybody's lips is, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus guy that's been preaching and teaching and doing these miracles? Oh, you didn't, I was there in this crowd and you won't believe this blind man came up and he spit in his eyes and all of a sudden he could see. I I heard he raised a, a child from the dead. Did you hear what happened? I was there. I saw what happened. I was in that crowd whenever he gave that sermon on the side of that mountain. You've never heard anybody speak the way he spoke. Who is this Jesus? 
That's the question that was ringing on everybody's lips, and it should be the question that's on our lips as well, especially if you've been here the past few weeks and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, but it is the question that should be on everybody's lips in the whole world. Who is this Jesus? Because there's been no one like him. He is astonishing, and he is remarkable. That's why so many people were traveling around him. It was the highest and holiest time in Israel, and pilgrims would come from all over the country. Jews would come in and travel into Jerusalem in order to worship and observe Passover, the holiest feast, the holiest days in the whole Jewish calendar. And as Jesus is coming in, there's people coming in from Galilee with him, and then other people are coming in and they're joining this throng because they want to know about this Jesus. They want to see him. They want to hear him teach. They want to see if he is the real deal that they've heard him to be. Here's this Jesus who's done all these remarkable things. John said the libraries of the world would not be enough to contain all the things that Jesus had done up to this point. And as it begins to descend this mountain on the way into the city, something happens. Something between a, a, a cross, between a a party and uh, a coronation and an uproarious worship service breaks out on this road. Something between a, a party and a coronation and a worship service breaks out on this road as Jesus is coming. See, Jesus had sent disciples on ahead of him to get a colt or a young donkey for him. And as he mounts it, as they put their cloaks over the colt. There's a sign of honor to this man. It's beckoning back to the story in the Old Testament about when they had done that for another king, the, the Jews had. They put, their, they put their cloaks on the back of this young donkey, and Jesus sits on it. And as he starts to ride into town, something happens. Because you see, he's declaring himself. Zechariah 9.9. 9. They would have known this passage. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's the children of Israel. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, this would have set off in the minds of the disciples and the crowd, this is happening. This is happening. Jesus is the king we've been waiting for. This is the king we've been waiting for. He's marching into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling the prophecy. He is saying, this man who's been doing great things like no one has ever done, saying, speaking with authority like no one has ever spoken with, he's now mounted himself on a donkey and he's coming into Jerusalem. The king is here. This is really happening. Can you imagine their thoughts and their emotions and their hopes that were you know, swirling at this moment? They'd be saying, have you seen this man's power? He has power like no one else. Have you seen his personality? He's like no one else we've ever met. He is both righteous and holy, but yet he's also compassionate upon those who are hurting and are broken. What kind of king will this be? What kind of kingdom will this be? And we're here to see it. This is amazing. 
So with that in our eyes, let's look at the last part of the passage that Joe read for us again, Luke 19, 35. Let's look at 35 through 40. If you have your Bible, you can pull it up. And they brought it, the colt, to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And they spread their cloaks on the road. They're laying out the, the red carpet the, for this man who's coming in. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. What? For all, because of all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, and they're quoting a psalm here. Blessed is he, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But on the side, in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. See, this is how the long-awaited king, the Messiah, was to enter the city. And it made those who were in power uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable. It threatened them. So they ordered Jesus to stop his followers from praising him because it's unseemly. Look how crazy they're acting. It's out of order, they think. But it also shows that they knew that they had lost the influence and power with these people because they don't tell the crowd to stop. They asked Jesus, hey, can you get the crowd to stop? They couldn't stop them. That threatened them. And that's why they wanted Jesus to stop them. We see Jesus being the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He doesn't take orders especially from those who are looking to preserve their power. And he says this. You see, they have too much to praise me for. You see, the whole world, the whole created order, it's longing for me to set things right. It's longing for me to come and and, and bring heaven to earth. All of the created order is crying out. Paul said the creation itself is groaning to be made right, to be redeemed. And Jesus is saying, I've begun to do that. They've seen it. They've experienced it. Their joy is so great because they see salvation coming. It's pent up within them. They can't help themselves. If they didn't praise me like this, you see, if they didn't praise me like this, the rocks themselves would burst forth in praise to me. Why did the Jesus, why did the people praise Jesus like that? Why did the people praise Jesus like that? They praised him because what they had seen him do. He says that they were praising him because all the mighty works that they had seen. What had they seen him do? Jesus had shown up into a people who were hurting and broken, and the thing that he was, though he was the king, he was the healer king. His heart broke for those who were hurting. His heart broke for those who were sick. This, this story in Luke 18, as he drew near to, Jerusalem, to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by. Listen to this, Jesus. He inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. This, this famous now, famous man, is, this important man is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him, be quiet. But the, you hear that, the common thing? Be quiet. But he was so desperate. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And listen to Jesus. He stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they they gave praise to God. They had seen Jesus over and over and over again stop when he didn't have to stop and heal those who people considered cursed and smitten by God himself. He reached down, and not only did he care for them and embrace them, but he healed them. The king was a healer, and it caused them to glorify and praise God. They had seen him do miracles. He had cast out demons. He had walked on water. Luke eleven fourteen. now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people, it says, marveled. This was a mighty, powerful king, and he was doing miracles to show heaven is breaking on earth. The king has come. Creation itself groaning, people groaning. They see this man, he's healing, he's caring, he's doing miracles, and he raised the dead. He had just, in fact, not too long before this, he had raised a local boy to this area. This man named Lazarus, who Jesus was friends with, lived nearby, this very place where Jesus mounted the donkey to come down. And he had been dead for four days. He'd been sick, and Jesus heard about it, and he he waited, and now he'd been dead four days, and Jesus showed up, and he cried as he he wept, as he saw the people's people's broken hearts around this this death. You see Jesus' heart moved by this, this death, this thing that shouldn't happen in this world that he had created but has now fallen under sin. He sees this death. He sees his friends. He sees the people brokenhearted. And it says he wept and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man, his friend, walked out of the grave, still in the grave clothes. And he said, unbind him and let him go. As Jesus healed, as Jesus did miracles, as Jesus raised the dead, they were signs of his authority. He's the king of the world. He was the son of God. He's come and he is the mighty king of all. And it's signs of his intention, not just of his authority, of how powerful and mighty and great, and, and great he is, but it shows signs of his intention. I've come to make all things new. I've come to bring heaven to earth. Yeah, you guys... I created you in my image and you have rebelled against me. I didn't come to throw you away. I came to save you and bring you near. Though you spend all of your energy trying to find someone else to worship, though you try to spend all your energy to please yourself and make yourself the king of your lives, yet I come to you to draw you near and bring you near to me. I come to seek and to save the lost, he said. 
He has all authority and power, and yet he also comes to seek and to save that which is lost. He compares himself to a woman who loses a penny in their house and, and several pennies and goes and, and sweeps through the whole house to find them. He, he compares it to a, a, a man who is a, a shepherd, and there's, he's got a hundred sheep, and one is missing at the end of the night, and he goes and leaves all this other sheep. I would just say, hey, 99 out of 100 ain't bad. Let's just call it a night and cut on some TV. But he says this man leaves the 99 and goes out into the highways and byways, out in the brush and the bramble, out in the darkness and the dangerous places to go and find the one that he had lost. He compares himself to the, the father who says, my son who has rejected me and has gone away, has considered me, told me, I wish that you were dead and gone out and spent half of my fortune on riotous living and has wasted all. He's waiting, looking down the road. When will he come to me? I've come like that kind of person to seek and to save the lost, to save the sinner. Did you hear that? The king came to save you. The king came to save you, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The people praised him for what they had seen him do, but they also praised him for the type of person he was. He wasn't just powerful. He wasn't just doing miracles and healing people, but the kind of person he was, he was a caring person. Jesus wasn't born great. Neither did he overlook people whenever he became famous and well-known. No, he took time. He stopped. We see him over and over again going about doing his work. A, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years sneaks up behind him and grabs the hem of his garment, and he stops everything and says, what just happened? And he stops and addresses this woman who had been considered unclean by everybody around her. For 12 years, she had been considered unclean. Don't touch her. He's bleeding. And Jesus stops and addresses her like a person and says, you are healed and made whole. People constantly come and stop him, and he stops, and he gives them the time and attention. He is caring, so caring that they were bringing infants to him at one point, and the disciples said, this is such a waste of this master's time. This is a master teacher. He's got things to do. He's got a mission that he is on. He's got stuff that he's got to do. And he says, no, no, don't stop them from bringing the little kids to me because such as this is the kingdom. The great man, the king of heaven, sitting down, holding some babies and little kids and blessing them. He's caring and he's... They're praising him because he's caring and he's humble. Jesus described himself. How did Jesus consider himself? What, how did he think about himself? At his very core, he said, I am gentle and I am lowly. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's how Jesus thought about himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart. They praised him because of the type of person he was. He was caring and he's humble, but he, yet he was also gracious. No one had ever seen this before. Jesus didn't wink at sin, neither did he drop a hammer on them. He one time came across the, this woman who had been caught, caught, by the way, in the middle of adultery. And the rightful sentence that was due to her was for the people in the city and the town to pick up stones and stone her to death. And he walks up, he writes something in the sand, 
And he says, let he who without sin cast the first stone. One by one, it says they left, and he's left with her. He says, woman, where, where are those who condemn you? She said, no one, they're not here, Lord. And he said, neither do I commend you, condemn you. Go and sin no more. He is caring and humble and gracious and authoritative. The people were continually astonished because Jesus spoke as one who had authority. They praised him for what he had done. They praised him for what what kind of person he was. They also praised him for what they hoped that he would do. Do you remember that prophecy back in Zechariah 9.9? The king is coming into the city on the back of the cult of a donkey. There are many different reasons and opinions in the crowd for praising him for coming in at this time. They knew that what they had seen him do. They knew that he was a different kind of person. That gave them great reason to expect him to do great things in the future. And they were right. He just hadn't come to do what they thought he was going to do in the way they thought he was going to do it. They thought he was going to come in be the king who by this power that had healed and quelled the storm, turned water into wine, that he was going to come in like Star Wars and like zap people with his electric bolts and take over authority in Jerusalem. They didn't understand what Jesus was coming to do because they didn't understand what their greatest needs were. Just like us. We think Jesus would come in and do things for us in a certain way. Jesus is the king. He's come to save us. But not to obey us. Why did Jesus accept such praise? So if we see that the people are praising him because what they seen him do and the kind of person he was and what they hoped he would do in the future, why would Jesus accept this kind of praise? Well, first of all, he accepted that kind of praise because he was God. When Jesus accepts the praise of the people, when as they're crying out to him as he's coming down the mountain on the back of this young donkey, he's showing who he, who he was and who he is. Jesus isn't just some good teacher that we've turned into something else. He was and is God in human flesh. Jesus calls God his father. That would be blasphemy unless he is actually the son of God. At one point, he calls himself the I Am, which would be God's holy and memorial name among the Jews. When Moses, in the very beginning of of God's special relationship with the Jews, when Moses asked him, who will I tell them sent me? He said, I am that I am. Tell them that's who sent you. That That will be, God told him, that will be my memorial name throughout all the generations. And Jesus claimed that name for himself. He called God Father. He called himself the great I Am. And he accepts praise. Now, you can choose to try and reject him. You can rebel against him. You can miss his marvelousness like the Pharisees did. But you can't get around the fact that he is proclaiming himself as God. 
Who is this Jesus? He's God. He accepted their praise because he was God, and he accepted their praise because it is the proper response to the Lord of creation. Praise and thanksgiving are the proper response of creation to God's nature, who he is, and to his works, the things that he has done. We are made, every single human being is made to worship and adore the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, because he is worthy of all praise and adoration. The two responses of people who we see in Scripture who encounter God are two responses. One is fear, you fall on your face in fear, and the other is worship, because he alone is glorious. Jesus accepted their praise because he was God, and that is the praise and worship is the proper response of creation to God. And he also accepted their praise because he was the promised Messiah. Think about the, the prophecies that we already looked at, the psalms that they're singing to him. This is the long-promised and long-awaited deliverer of God's people. And he accepted their praise because he was the Messiah, the deliverer, or the Savior. That's what Messiah means that they had been waiting for. He accepted their praise because he was coming to save them. They didn't understand it. They wouldn't have agreed with it, his method, if he had told them, or when he tried to tell them, they didn't believe it or understand it. They didn't agree with it. At one point, he has to, Peter rebukes him because Jesus says he's got to go die, and Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. That's how far removed and opposed they were to this plan of Jesus talking about going to Jerusalem to die. This is the part of the psalm that they were singing to him, Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. That word there is the same meaning as the word Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Save us. They're crying out to him, and he's saying, that's what I'm coming to do. Look at this about Jesus. This crowd who is uproarious in their praise for him because what they had seen him do and the kind of person he was and what they hoped that he would do, they didn't fully understand what was going on. It was, their praise was imperfect. They thought he was coming in on the back of this donkey again to take over Jerusalem using magic powers. There are mixed motives in their praise. Some people wanted to make him king of Israel. They want to, we're going to throw off Rome. We're going to put him as king with him as our king, leading us into battle against Rome. There's no way we can lose. Some wanted to make him king of Israel. Some of them wanted a war. Some wanted to fulfill prophecy in their way. Some, some of them wanted, they just simply wanted access to power. Like, this guy seems to have power. He seems to be going places. I want to be at his right hand. So whenever he takes over the throne, I'll have some access to that power. Some people were just along for the ride. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to see where this goes. And no one in the crowd fully understood who he was or what he was coming to do. 
And many of them, if not most, in just a few days would turn and would be part of the crowds that were crying to crucify him. And Jesus would have known that. Jesus would have known that, hey, whenever the chips are down, I'm going to be left alone. Even my closest disciples, the 12 men who I have taught and discipled and trained for the last three years, who I've lived every day with and slept in the same house with and ate bread with, ate every meal with, those very disciples who are closest to me, those friends are going to turn on me. These crowds who are praising me down this mountain saying, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, who's putting their palm branches down and their cloaks in front of the donkey as I come down, he would be looking out of the crowd knowing they're going to turn on me. But you know what he did? He still accepted their praise. He accepted their imperfect praise. What kind of king is this riding into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey? Who accepts the imperfect praise of people who are going to turn away from him. Some are going to betray him. Some are going to call for his death in just a few days. What kind of king is coming down the side of the mountain? He's a humble king. It's represented by the fact that he's on a colt, the young, a young donkey, not a war horse. He's coming into the city, not with the entourage of soldiers, not with the entourage of the rich and famous and the mighty and powerful. He's coming into the city with an entourage of children and peasants who instead of, ra- of waving swords are waving palm branches in their hands. He has no announcers, no great heralds blowing the trumpets before him as he comes. No praise except the praise of the ordinary people around him. What kind of king is this? He's the humble king. He's a weeping king. Right after this part that we read where he says, even the rocks will cry out if they don't, it says that he got to a place on the side of the mountain where he overlooked Jerusalem, the God's holy city, but yet God's city that had with people who continually rebelled and rebelled against him, God's city that he knew that he was coming to them, that that by all rights they should be welcoming the Messiah, the the Son of God, coming to his city, coming to his people, but yet he knows these these children, these young people, these people around me are are held in me. They're going to turn on me. The Pharisees, the leaders, want me to stop them, and as I come into town, they're already plotting to kill me on the way in. And he stops and he looks over that city and it says that he weeps over Jerusalem. He looks at the people. He, he would look into the, the streets that he's going to walk in a few days. He's looking over buildings where people are, are even now at this moment meeting to conspire to figure out how to kill this man who's coming to town. He's, he's looking through the streets where people will gather in just a few days and cry out, crucify him instead of this criminal over here. He's looking at them. He's looking over the city. And his result is to say, what, what in the world am I doing here? His, his response is to weep and say, oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, you've rebelled, but yet how I've wished I could bring you in to myself like a, like a mother hen bringing in her young. He can see the street where he's going to drag his cross. He can see the hill Golgotha where he's going to be crucified. 
yet he weeps for the city. What kind of king is this? He's the humble king. He is the weeping king. He's the joyful king in the middle of it, though. You can see him on the back of this young donkey, riding, smiling, laughing, looking at the people as they are praising him, and yet he's heading for certain death. Why would he have joy in this moment? Why would he have joy? Look in the eyes of people that are one day going to, very soon are going to call for his death. What would be the joy that he would have who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame? What was that joy? The joy that Jesus had walking down, the, uh, riding down that hill, looking to the face of these people that are going to turn away from him, that are going to call out for his death, is that he's fulfilling the Father's will and saving us. In other words, he's taking joy that he's going to glorify the Father and he's going to bring us joy by saving us who are turning away from him. That's what kind of king we have. So we see the people... They cry out and worship for what they'd seen him do and who he was and what they hoped he would do. We see Jesus receiving the praise because he's God and he's the Messiah. He's coming to save them. What should be our response? What should be our response to this kind of king? When Jesus tells us, these rocks will cry out if these people don't. We can let the rocks outpraise us. Yet here we are in this room on the other side of the cross, looking back, not where these people on the road are with him, hoping that he's going to save them in a particular way. We're looking back and we see how he came to save us. How much more should praise erupt from us and all of creation for this king? What kind of response is fitting to this king? What kind of response is fitting to this king riding into Jerusalem that we see? The type of response is deep, boisterous, raucous, enthusiastic praise. We should be a noisy people. Because of the things that we've seen him do. The things he has done the type of king that he is, and what we know he's going to come and do again. He's going to complete his work in making all things new. He's going to dry every tear from our eyes. Deep, raucous, boisterous, enthusiastic praise should be our response, and sacrificial praise should be our response. We see them on the road. They're, they're taking off their cloaks. They're putting on it in the back of the, of the donkey. They're putting it in front of him for him to walk over. They're, they're, pray, they're, they're putting their cloaks out. They're waving palm branches. They're, they're making sacrificial praise to this great king. That should be our response. For a king who's given everything for us, the only response can say, everything I have is yours. I can't believe you saved me. I can't believe you've come for me when I was a rebel against you. You came after me. Not only did you come down that mountain, but you went to the cross and you came after me. You came after me. My only response can be all that I am for all that you are and have been for me. All that I am every single day, as Paul says, offering my body as a sacrifice of praise to him, which is my only reasonable act of worship. 
for such a kind of king as this, the kind of things that he has done for me and for us. Deep, boisterous, sacrificial praise and submitted praise as befits a king. Because again, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords coming down the side of the mountain. He serves no one. We are called to serve him. We find joy there. We find peace there. We find wholeness there. But we only find it as we submit to him. Even in the things that we don't like and we don't understand, we say, you are king and I am not. I am yours you are not, and I am only, you are only mine as I submit to you as king of kings and lord of lords. Have you seen Jesus do anything? Have you seen him do anything worthy of praise? Do you look back 2,000 years ago and to this same week and see him do things? Do you see what he's done in your life? Do you have any eyes to see how he has saved you and cared for you and came after you? The humble, holy, authoritative, gracious, powerful, almighty, caring, weeping king. Do you see how he has moved for you? He wept over us and he humbled himself for us. It was our, for our salvation. Think of your life. Has he given you any good things that you deserve nothing of that kind? Has he protected you? Has he kept you? Has he forgiven you over and over and over and over and over again for the same stupid sin? Has he forgiven you? What have you seen him do? What reason do you have to praise this king? The holy, humble, compassionate, joy-filled king. And we know that he will return. And he won't just return to Jerusalem, but he will return to this whole world. He won't return to die, but he will return to make all things new. Will you be one who praises him on that day? Or will you be standing at the side? Like one of the Pharisees saying, this is unseemly. Or like one of the crowd saying, you're not doing it the way I hoped you would do it. Or like somebody who's saying, I'm just along for the ride to see if this is anything legit. Do you have any reason to praise him today? Or will the rocks... Fill the void of your voice. Is he your king? Which crowd are you in? Are you weighing out the cost? Are you seeing where it's going to go? Or are you uproariously welcoming him as the king of kings and the lord of lords? Because our place isn't with the crowds on that road to Jerusalem. Our place is with the great cloud of witnesses bought with the blood of this king. They're the ones standing in praise. They're the ones singing and shouting. The crowds on the hillside would turn, to Jesus, turn against Jesus, but those who would hear the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection for their sins, their praise never ends. They paved his way not with cloaks, but many with their own blood. Our king has come. And he is coming again. And for those that are his, he is with us still even now. Praise him. 
you're here this morning, you're somewhere in that crowd standing off to the side wondering, I don't know about this. Uh, he's not feeling all that I hoped he would do. Today is your day to submit to him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Today submit to him who came to you, the humble king, to save you. If you're here today and you are a believer, but you've let your heart hardened, and you're more like the Pharisee sitting off to the side saying, this is unseemly that anyone would worship this man like this. I can't believe they would do such a thing. They would raise their hands or clap or give their whole lives to him. I can't believe they would go to Africa and change their whole future for him. And yet count it joy. Did you let your heart harden? Let today be the day that you let this king humble you and draw you in again. We have a chance for that is enacted every single week. It's especially special this week as we remember his last week and his last supper, which will happen on uh, Thursday evening. We're going to partake of that dinner together this morning in Holy Communion. There are going to be two stations, one on each side. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, this is open to you no matter where you call home. Come, walk, dance, run forward to partake of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ for you. If you're not a believer in Christ, take this time, find me, find someone, and we'll help you know what it means to become a believer. Father, we thank you for your, the glorious truth that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That you're the king that came to save. You're the triumphant king. You're the great king. You're the powerful king. You're the humble and weeping king. Lord, we pray that you would break our hearts this morning for your love for us. Break our hearts this morning for your love for those around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.